0: All right, Galatians chapter four, verses four and five. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. God's word. One of the most Powerful images in literature and film is when an orphan finds a home. The Secret Garden, for instance, tells the story of spoiled little Mary Lennox, whose parents die in an epidemic. And she is sent to live with her reclusive uncle on his great, uh, in his large house in the country, where she eventually finds, with the help of a secret garden, a home and a family. Or there's Oliver Twist, uh, which tells about a sad little boy named Oliver, who goes from being trained as a thief on the street to being adopted by the wealthy and kind Mr. Brownlow. Or there's that Broadway musical Annie, where uh, this little girl goes from the hard knock life of the orphanage to uh, wealthy Mr. Daddy Warbucks. We love these stories because we know that a child needs a home, a child needs a family. Um, But as Christians, we also love these stories because they remind us of our story at Christmas, we celebrate the greatest adoption story ever told. Jesus was sent so that you might receive the gift of adoption. Now, in these two small verses, Paul works through the basics of Jesus' arrival on earth. This is a Christmas text. He tells us when Christ was sent, how he was sent, and why. He was sent. So we'll begin with when Christ was sent. When uh, we have like a tough decision to make in life, sometimes we decide, you know what? The time is just not right for this. It's just not the right time to move, to change jobs, to get uh, married, to adopt. Uh, Maybe there are certain things that are just not yet in place. We're not mature enough yet. Uh, We don't have enough resources. Uh, There's another step we have to take first. And we hope that maybe the time will come when we'll be ready. Well, God has made similar decisions about each piece of his plan to save his people for himself, except he doesn't hope there will come a time when things are ready. He knows the exact moment when things will be ready. He is sovereign. Everything is under his control. Uh, Isaiah 14, 24 says, as I have planned, so shall it be. As I have purposed, so shall it stand. And so, uh, the Apostle Paul here in verse 4, he sums up what is, you know, billions and trillions of little plans, little decisions that happened exactly as the Lord had determined so that the fullness of time would come. It's like filling a bowl on a scale to the exact milligram with the right number of grains of flour. And each Grain of flour is a different story, a different life, a different brick in, in God's wall of time that had to be in place for Jesus to come. And, you know, people try to identify some of the big picture uh, things in the world that were just right for Jesus to come. Uh, The Roman census that sends Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem, the uh, restless desire for a Messiah that was growing in the hearts of the Jewish people at that time, the Roman roads, the Roman peace, the spread of Greek language and culture throughout the known world, the, the existence of Jewish synagogues all in the different cities of Rome, all these things that primed the world for the spread of the gospel. But we don't really know exactly why this moment was considered right by God. We really can only speculate. What we are taught here is that God is the Lord of time. He has an exact moment laid out for each of his redemptive acts that is perfect, down to the the tiniest Grain of sand in the hourglass. Everyone knows what an hourglass is, right? Maybe some of you uh, kids have used those plastic sort of hourglasses for a board game, right? There's There's a tube filled with grains of sand and the tube is separated in the middle with a tiny hole through which only one grain of sand can go at a time. And so it takes a very specific amount of time for the sand in the top to get to the bottom, right? And so imagine that each grain of sand represents a different piece of God's plan for the world. And if he has measured them out exactly, then you can trust the timing of that plan perfectly. He knows when the hourglass will be full, and his timing is perfect. So do not despair if the timing of your life is not how you wish it were. If you haven't hit the milestones of success everyone else seems to hit, do not dis- despair if you, you get up tomorrow and you don't get through your to-do list for the day. And Do not despair if you yearn in your hearts like the choir sang earlier. For that day when Christ will return and he hasn't come back in your timing. When the fullness of time had come, Christ came. So do not fear. When the fullness of all time comes, Christ will come again, and it will be the perfect time. Paul moves on to tell us how Christ was sent. How Christ was sent. It isn't easy to understand, I think, how humiliating it was for Jesus to come to earth. Uh, and to do it in the way that he did the the Mark Twain in his book The Prince and the Pauper he tells the story of Prince Edward the 6th of England and he this prince he accidentally switches place with a beggar boy who looks exactly like him it's a dramatic switch, okay? You know, his guards see him. They, they knock him down. They throw him out of his own palace. And then he's laughed at and chased by a crowd of mocking people. And then a bunch of other boys beat him up. And then the, the beggar boy's drunken father grabs him and drags him home. Uh, throughout the story, this prince experiences the undignified life of a beggar the cold the dirt the hunger and the powerlessness but this is only the tiniest picture of the humiliation that christ experienced when he came to earth paul says simply he was born of woman So just start from the beginning, from his entrance. Friends, the process of human birth is not dignified for anyone involved. It might be the most undignified event common to every human being. And Jesus was not born in a sterile hospital with experienced doctors. He was born on a stable floor. He was covered in blood and mucus. He was utterly helpless. And he experienced pain. This is the preexistent son of God who made all things, willingly accepting a fall from the richest, most blessed, most powerful place in existence to the most common, the most helpless place. Imagine that being crushed and arriving cold, naked. And yet this is how Christ needed to be sent. He needed to take on human flesh so that he could save human flesh. He needed to become like his brothers in every respect, yet without sin, in order for them to be adopted as his brothers. With two simple phrases here, Paul communicates all our doctrine about Christ being both God and man. God sent forth his Son, So his divine pre-existence with God is made evident, and he was born of woman, which is exactly how every human being since Adam and Eve has been born. He is not like us, and yet he is exactly like us. This is how Christ was sent. Paul goes on to add uh, that he was born under the law. Right? This is like Edward VI, the law giver, uh, stepping out of his palace as a beggar and suddenly finding himself bound by his own laws. Except, of course, Jesus, right? He'd never experienced the, the temptation of human flesh and the world clawing at him to break in his human nature what conforms perfectly to his divine nature. What a descent! what a humiliating turn of events. The Son of God, equal in power, glory, and authority with the Father, but required to submit to the yoke of the law and bound by its penalty. Could he be the first human to maintain perfect obedience where everyone else failed? That was the only way to redeem his enslaved people. He had to take the chains of the law on himself. He had to keep it perfectly. And then he had to trade his perfect obedience for his people's failures in order that he might also take the curse of the law from them. That is what it looks like to be crushed. Finally, we turn to why Christ was sent. Why he was sent. And I'd like you to try to come at this question without you know, as if you didn't already know uh, the answer. Why was Christ sent? Don't say in your heads, I know, I know, as He came to save his people from his sins. No, no, no. Just come to this text curious, ready to marvel at it. What is so important that it had to happen at the fullness of time? What is so important that the Son of God was willing to be totally humiliated for it. That the, the Father and the Spirit were willing to be separated for, for once, separated from the Son and watch Him suffer. Why would Jesus allow all these terrible things to happen to Him? What wondrous love is this? And, and what is this thing that the Father and the Son and the Spirit, if we peek ahead at verse 6, they're all engaged in making it happen. The The goal of all of this attention is your adoption you should be immediately struck by the fact that this is not a simple thing to do to make you a child of God this is not some sort of perfunctory administrative detail that just needs to be handled in an office back somewhere Some of you are familiar with the the paperwork, the meetings, and the costs of trying to adopt a child. Now, add the heavenly court of justice billions of adoptees across thousands of years, the execution of one of the persons of the Trinity by the people he created, and a cosmic war involving spiritual beings. Those are some of the pieces in play. That's what needs to happen for the gift of adoption to arrive at your doorstep. That's why we celebrate Christmas. That's why we celebrate every day of the year. Christ came to give you this sonship, daughtership. The legendary St. Nicholas might be an example for us with what it looks like to live in wonder at the richness of this gift. Uh, Nicholas of Myra was a leader of the early Christian church. He was known for his extreme generosity, especially to the poor and to children. There are stories of ships leaving a city, uh, packed full of gifts for the needy that he had put in himself. The stories became legends. Uh, then people all around the world took on this tradition of giving gifts to each other until the original reasons for Nicholas's generosity were lost, and we were left with Santa Claus, who apparently gives gifts to good children. We need to reclaim deeper reasons for Nicholas's generosity. God did not send you his hand-me-downs. He did not send you a gift card. He sent you the most precious part of himself to redeem you so that you might be adopted. So Paul uses two images here, right? Verse 5. The first image is redemption, Okay, so uh, which you know, redemption means deliverance from slavery. We have that great example of it in the Old Testament the people of Israel being redeemed from the land of Egypt and their slavery there. That's redemption. But the people of Israel are not the only ones who were enslaved. Paul says that anyone who is under the law needs to be redeemed and is therefore enslaved. So, who then is under the law? Everyone who is created by God is under his law, obligated to perfectly obey it. And since you cannot perfectly obey it, then you are under the curse of the law, Galatians 3.13. And you need redemption, which is what Christ, at at the cost of his own life, offers you. Scoffers are gonna scoff. Haters are gonna hate. Mockers are gonna mock. But Christ still offers the gift of redemption until the day when he doesn't. The only favorable time to accept that gift is now. This past week, I left for a routine allergy appointment in Wyoming, missing only to find the road blocked off. There was a shooting in front of the medical building I was headed to about 30 minutes before my appointment. There's no time to waste. Don't sit in your seat ignoring that critical question of what will happen when you die. Now is the time to get yourself a redeemer and Jesus is the only one offering. Now we do need to dig a little bit deeper into this concept of being under the law, because there are ways in which God's people place themselves back under the slavery of the law, even after having been redeemed. The people in Galatia that Paul's writing to here, if you read some of the context, they were doing that. They were claiming that some of the Old Testament ceremonial laws that Christ had fulfilled were still binding on Christians. Um, you can, if you just read back in chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 4, you'll see Paul's arguing that those aspects of the law, we're just, they were just temporary, they were guardians, they were given to God's people for a specific period of time prior to his arrival, prior to Jesus' arrival. And we want to watch out for this same sort of legalism in our own hearts. The problem is, the problem is not wanting to live a certain way, right? Christians are called to live a certain way. The problem, the problem is when you begin to believe that that way of living is part of what redeems you. The whole point of redemption is that someone is helpless and he needs Another person to pay the full price, not half the price, not part of it, the full price for their deliverance. But like the Galatians, we do not like to be helpless. And so we take laws that God gives us for our good and we turn them into some sort of way of paying him back, some sort of way of earning our deliverance. Or we make up our own laws that we need to follow in order for God to love us, or we, we, like the Galatians, we resurrect laws that Christ fulfilled. All of this is unnecessary and ungrateful. All you need for pardon is Christ. All you can boast about is Christ. And your adoption, that's the next image Paul uses here, your adoption is a gift as well. Because God doesn't stop with just pardoning your sin. In fact, uh, your redemption is really just a means to an end, okay? So there's this really important words halfway through verse 5, so that Paul is building to a climax. Christ came to redeem you, but he redeemed you so that you might be adopted as sons. That's the ultimate goal of Christ's work. Think back to our friend Oliver Twist from my introduction. Oliver, he's an orphan. He's running through the streets with a bunch of pickpockets. He's caught in the act by Mr. Brownlow. Mr. Brownlow could have pardoned Oliver, uh, saved him from the constable, and then said, All right, Oliver, let's see how you do now that you've got a clean slate. But that's not what he does. He takes the extra step of claiming Oliver, giving him a home, a name, wealth, a value. This is what God does with his people. He does not simply pardon our sins and then say, look, now that I've cleaned you up, let's see how you do. No, he claims us and then he smothers us in the riches of Christ. We don't get a clean slate. We get a slate covered. With the works of Christ. As one commentator I read puts it, the purpose of Christ's coming was that we might not only be delivered from the greatest evil, but we might also be crowned with the choicest blessing. This is what it means to be a son or a daughter of God. It is not a second chance. It is not a gift that says some assembly required. It is the full rights, the full record, the full value, the full future of a child of God given to you in one single breathtaking moment. Good works have a place in the Christian life, but they do not have a role in your redemption, and they do not have a role in your adoption. Praise God for his love and his mercy to you. It is always deeper, wider, stronger than you know. The gift that comes to you in the coming of Christ will always grow greater every time you look at it. And so this Christmas, don't take your eyes off the baby In the manger. He came in the fullness of time, humbly born of a woman, born under the law to redeem you and to adopt you. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful to you as we recognize the gift we have been given. It's not something we earn, not in the slightest. Both our redemption and our adoption accomplished for us by Christ, who came at just the right time to save his people from their sins. Lord, we are so grateful. And we do ask that you would fill us all the more with gratefulness, with joy and celebration as we reflect on the gift of our adoption into your family. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.